And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Now, welcome back. We've got a special episode this week. Uh, I've got a, our guest is Chris Suspect. And you've probably heard of Chris if you haven't. He's a Washington, D.C.-based street photographer, documentary photographer, probably one of the gutsiest people that uh, I've seen in the street photography world, and you'll see why in a few minutes. Um, Chris, welcome back. Thank you. Great to great to be here again. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, Chris was our featured photographer in 2020. I think it was June or July, something like that. And uh, since then, he's been a busy guy. Uh, even though we've been in lockdown, or well, lockdown's over, but uh, a lot of it happened. And he, he, uh, in fact, one of the things we're going to talk about is uh, his adventure photographing, getting right into the mix. Um, at the uh, January 6th insurrection. And, uh, yeah, he's also a, a punk rocker, so he's probably used to mosh pits. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what that was like. I don't know. Anyway, Chris, why don't you tell us, I mean, before we get started, for those who, who uh, don't know you, just tell us a little bit about yourself and and what uh, you do and why you do sure. it. Yeah, you mentioned, um, you know, I, mean, I live in the Washington, D.C. area. I've been photographing for about since, I guess, 2010, really. I picked up the camera later in life, um, but it became like my main creative outlet. Uh, prior to that, I played bass in a, a couple bands throughout the years. I also ran a record label. Um, and the nice thing about photography was that this is something I could do, you know, by myself, for myself without relying on other people. Like, so when you're in a band, you have to, you know, relate to other people, coordinate schedules with other people. But, you know, as a photographer, it's pretty much, you know, you do what you want to do and it's up to you as, as far as how far you want to take things. So, um, that's just, I guess, a, a little bit of background on me. I primarily I like to shoot street. I like to shoot, um, uh, I like to shoot in bands and small clubs and I like to do like documentary projects. And then occasionally I dabble in some conceptual fine art projects as well. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. You've got several books. Last year you published what, four books. Yeah, my goal was to publish four books during 2020. Uh, this goal was actually set up before the pandemic. Uh, but when the pandemic hit, it actually I was actually grateful that I set this crazy goal up for me because I was able to actually, you know, devote a lot of time to it because there wasn't a lot of shooting for me in 2020, you know, just out of fears of, uh, you know, COVID-19. You know, at that at the very beginning, it was like, you know, you didn't want to be around. We didn't even know if it was safe to be outside with people like when the Black Lives Matter protest mm -hmm. started. You know, everyone was suspecting this was going to be like super spreader events. And, you know, I live with my family. And so I'm not I didn't want to go out and jeopardize my family for uh, photography. Um, but then, you know, after uh, Black Lives Matter protests in the summer um, and no one really there wasn't a mass you know, spreader event from it, you know, word kind of came out that, oh, you know, it's okay to be outside with a mask on. So then I started around election time, going 
going out and shooting activities around the uh, around around the elections, whether it was like Trump protests or Black Lives Matter things. Um, but I would double mask <laughs> just to be safe. Did Did you happen to be there for the the Trump's Bible waving event? Uh, yeah, no, that was more. That was more. I guess in the summertime. Yeah, and that was around the time. Because there were several Black Lives Matter protests in D.C. and they're all, they they seem to be sort of like back to back. So you know, I was waiting. You know how like with COVID, it takes about a month to get the data mm-hmm. back to whether it can be a super spreader event or something. Sure. Um, and so I was kind of just waiting to see the results. So I didn't go down there for for that one. I wanted to, believe me, but yeah, I think it was pretty much spur of the moment anyway, wasn't it? As far as being spur of the moment, that stuff really is it too much of a problem. Like if you're plugged into certain uh, networks, so I'll get often get text messages like, "Hey, we're going to protest, uh, you know, this oil pipeline project uh, on Tuesday," and it's that's tomorrow, right? Today's Monday, um, and so like you, you kind of get get into this stuff. You know, there's one coming up um, September 18th, which I believe uh, I think is a Saturday. And the Trump people are coming back to uh, to protest the treatment of the people that were arrested for the uh, during the insurrection. Oh, are you going to be there? Yeah, oh yeah, that's my my plan. <laughs> I'm not worried about anything that'll go down that day. I'm a little worried that it won't be that exciting because you know the Capitol Police and all that, every you know the city police and all that will be totally kind of prepared and on guard, unlike January 6th, of which they were just kind of disorganized and yeah, yeah, not expecting what happened. Obviously not ready. So, of course, you knew that one was happening. So, yeah, let's talk about January 6th. So you went down there. You, you knew it was going to happen, obviously. You went down there. Of course, none of us knew exactly what was going to happen until it did. I mean, how did you work it that day? I mean, did you show up at the at the first event where all the people were giving their speeches and followed the crowd down to the Capitol? Or I was a little skeptical. I was like, God, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to come to this. But I decided to, you know, take the day off of work and just set the day aside. Um, and I figured, you know, worst comes to worst, like, you know, I get some, you know, decent shots of Trump supporters so I sh- decided to show up early. Um, I think I got down there at like 8.30 and it was already like swarmed with a lot more people than I expected. Um, and, you know, I, I, I couldn't do a guesstimate, but at least, you know, 10 to 20,000 people, I think, were at the Stop the Steal rally. Um, the, uh, the whole lawn by the Washington Monument, which faces the ellipse where the White House is, was packed all the way up to the Washington Monument. And that's like a lot of people. And by packed, yeah. I mean, it was like, sometimes it was hard to move between the people. Um, and, you know, I was double masked. So, I, you know, I just sat around just kind of walking in and out of the crowd and just shooting, you know, looking for kind of just street photography types or, or weird stuff that I would, that I would find. Uh, then Trump started his speech and everything kind of um, – everyone was like really focused on on the talk. Well, it wasn't Trump that started. They had a couple of other speakers. But by mm-hmm. the time that, that Trump went on, everyone was really kind of focused on him. Um, but like halfway – and he kind of went on and on for a while. So like halfway through his talk, people just started leaving and heading towards the, uh, the Capitol, walking down uh, Independence Avenue. 
Um, and I was like, you know, I'm going to walk down there too as well because it's just people standing around and, you know, mm-hmm. you're kind of getting similar shots the entire time at that point. So I was like, I'm going to go follow follow these guys down. So I, I guess I left around 1230 when other people started walking down there. Um, and it was kind of like a celebration along the way. People were very excited. They're like, yeah, we're going to go protest at uh, Capitol Hill and at the Capitol building. And then, uh, it seemed that, you know, when we rolled up there, it was like all these people were congregated around, um, I guess the, uh, the East steps, the East lawn, and they had police barricades set up. Um, and people were kind of yelling at the police, but it hadn't like gotten out of control at that point. It was only until like after more and more marchers kind of showed up that uh, things started to uh, to escalate. And then it was all of a sudden it was like, wow, you know, this is kind of crazy. There's way more people here than there would be police. I would expect at any other kind of uh, protest. And um, so I just started working like, you know, the, the, the front lines and the police started breaking out the pepper spray. Um, I actually brought some goggles with me just in case for that, which was helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and just started just kind of, you know, working the, the front lines. Um, you know, the people were, you know, were trying to drag cops out. Cops were trying to drag people over the barricades to arrest them. Uh, pepper spray was flying. Flashbang grenades started popping off. And I've been in enough flashbang grenade situations to realize that, that like, while they make a, a loud noise, they're essentially kind of harmless. Yeah. You know, even if they explode at your uh, feet, you might get shrapnel. You know, the, the worst case scenario is getting some kind of shrapnel in your face. Um, but if it hits your body, it's like, you know, it's, re- it's really, really yeah, nothing. Noise maker. Yeah, but it is loud, man. And if you're not expecting it, it is scary. And it, it, it is disorientating with how loud it is. But if you've been in that situation before, it's just kind of like... You know, the worst part is the pepper spray, like when that gets into your masks, uh, you know, to protect you from COVID. At the, I was double masked. You know, I brought extra masks with me. So that was great. So the pepper spray, so the mask kind of protected me from pepper spray. But if you let it linger in that mask, man, it is it is rough. Wow. What does your wife think of this stuff? Uh, <laughs> or is she used to it by now? I think she's uh, she's used to it by now. So. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to get you off track, but I just wondered. Mine would kill me. Yeah, you know, d- during this thing, there was no. Uh, I guess they cut the cell service, uh, at least on the Islam side of the building, because um, mm-hmm. no one was able to kind of get any news. Um, so I wasn't getting any messages in or out. So apparently, you know, my family was frantically texting me, like, <laughs> "Get out of there!" But I had. It wasn't until much later in the day, so. So, yeah. So I don't know, I guess a little, just a quick walkthrough. So, you know, people started, um, so, so the next big thing that happened was people started to kind of storm the inauguration stands Mm -hmm. and they were covered in all this, this tarp. So they kind of sliced through the tarp and started going up into the the stands and the police. And it was, um, a little crazy. I was, I, I did not want to go in because it seemed like it was kind of this, this trap where the police could just pepper spray through, on their end, and then you're you're kind of trapped inside the the stands. But so many people went in there; they just basically overpowered and were able to get up onto the Capitol itself. Eventually, through there, so I did, I did get some shots in the stands itself. Um, 
but you know, at the same time, I wasn't trying to risk my, uh, risk my life or try to get arrested. Um, but yeah, but, uh, you know, and then I hung around most of the action was on the East lawn to the best of my knowledge. At that point, I had not even explored the other parts of, of the Capitol. I saw Mm -hmm. people scaling walls with the, with the ropes, uh, with rope systems, um, took some photos of, of that. Uh, but it wasn't until like I went over onto the West side of the building just to check that out, which there wasn't as many people. Um, but I had seen that, you know, at that point I heard that a lot of people had actually gotten in the building and this was kind of unknown to the people on the other side. Oh, really? Um, yeah. yeah, because there wasn't any like cell service, you know, I guess some people would have known if for, from walkie talkies, but I guess most yeah. people just weren't aware, you know, I wasn't aware. Um, hmm. and, uh, yeah, so, you know, I never, I never got in, I never went inside because I wasn't aware of <laughs> The fact people got inside, but actually, but things turned, took a turn for the worse, uh, on the, uh, on the East side when, um, word started to spread that one of the Trump supporters, Ashley, uh, got shot. I believe I forget her last name. Yeah. Babbitt, I think it was, right? I think it might be Ashley Bobbitt. I'm not sure. Yeah. So once that happened though, I mean, then the crowd started, they, they, at that point they've repelled the police. They were up onto the Capitol. They were trying to bust through the doors. That's where the uh, police officer, uh, you know, this guy, Mike Fanone got dragged out and, uh, and, and kind of beaten, you know, interesting thing about Mike Fanone is that I actually know him really from, from, from back in the day, he was, uh, he actually, I used to run punk shows at a place called the coffee house and he was in that scene and he, uh, worked with me as, as a bouncer for many of the shows that we did. This is before he was a a policeman. Yeah. Wow. So that was, that was, I had no idea it was him at that time. I think I was up in the stands taking like just kind of broader shots of the chaos. And then I also went down into that chaos um, uh, and that was really, really kind of hectic shooting there. And then basically the whole thing ended quite quickly when, um, I guess the DC police or the reserves had finally been called in. And this was yeah. like around five o'clock, maybe yeah. four thirty, And they literally like dropped so many flashbangs and, uh, whatever other tear gas explosives just all at once off the top of the Capitol into, you know, must've been like 6,000 people. And at that point I was actually kind of scared for my life because it is like a stampede situation uh-huh. kind of, kind of broke out and I was afraid like it's possible to get crushed or whatever, but you know, we basically all made it, made it out of there. No, that didn't happen. But, but that was pretty much the, the, the biggest show of force that the police showed at that, at that time. And that was, you know, right when the sun went down and, and that pretty much closed out the, the day. Then the police got very aggressive. But for the most part, they were just trying to maintain the peace, I felt, and um, and just trying to uh, deal with the agitators. But um, towards the end, it was like, if you were standing there, you were like a target for the for the Capitol Police or whatever police was there at that time. Man. So did anybody give you a hard time, any of the protesters? Or, of course, they were all taking pictures, too, and... Um, so I saw the guy from the AP get dragged out and beaten. I was standing right next to him. Wow. Um, 
you know, mind you, he had like, he was wearing like all black. He had a big thing that said press on. He had yeah. a big helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had none of these. Say, I was dressed more like just a average person. Um, yeah. Did you have your MAGA hat on? Uh, no, I did not have a MAGA <laughs> hat on. Um, I didn't want to be full, full on blatant, but I, but I do have a, uh, Trump for Maryland t-shirt that I got like, I guess in 2016 that was given to me at some state fair. I was like, Oh, this might come in handy someday. So I was, I was, I did have that under on underneath my jacket just in case I, I had to, I got into some crazy situation. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I didn't. Um, I was just dressed normally using my Leica. Um, most people didn't pay attention to me. I did have like a two incidents. Uh, one person was like, Whoa, that's an old camera. I know you're not a journalist. <laughs> yeah. That, I was thinking um, that. Yeah. So, so there was that. And then one guy kind of like quizzed me. He was saying, he was like, you know, who are you shooting for? I'm like, uh, nobody, honestly. He's like, it's like, what, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm just here to doc, you know, just to shoot this day. It's freaking amazing. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it is amazing, dude. Rock on. And so. <laughs> Oh man. Oh man. Well, that, well, that's good. Yeah. I figure you're out there with one camera, one lens, I would imagine. Yeah. Just uh, a 35 know, millimeter. Yeah. Cause you know, photojournalists often have two bodies with, you know, a long lens and a short lens and you know, they're pretty easy to spy and they do a lot of them wear the press coat, which not a good idea on that day. Yeah. Well, actually I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea on any day anymore because yeah. you know, it's really weird. I find it very strange that all these, you know, they, all these people on, on both sides, whether it's, you know, Antifa types or Trump supporters or, um, they both target the, the media. So it's yeah. like, um, you know, they don't want to be doxxed or they don't want to be identified. Meanwhile, they're doing all their own documentation anyway with their cell phones. Yeah. I, I just don't under, understand the logic of any of it. But I think it's dangerous to identify yourself as kind of press at these things because it's like putting a, a target on your back for you know certain individuals that want to target press people. Yeah, enemy of the people, you know, that's what he calls them. Yeah, I don't want to get a press pass or I don't want to, you know, wear anything that identifies me as press. So I, I pretty much just try to like dress down um, and just go. And I also the other thing, too, is I try to like stay on one side of the of the of the of the groups. So, for, for yeah, that makes sense. You know, if you're going to, let's say, a Trump rally and you're. It, you know, you either stay with the Trump people or you stay with the counter protesters, because once those people see you cross lines, then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, you're like, you know, so the Trump supporters actually had my back at several points, like helping me get tear gas out of my eyes, <laughs> um, you know, but ha- had they known that, you know, I don't really share their sentiments, I doubt that that would have happened right so no probably not you probably wouldn't have that like anymore either yeah exactly so you know it was um yeah i mean that's my advice you don't want to like you kind of want to stick to one side in these situations so you know you you do have some sort of support because these folks think oh yeah you're with them (laughs) so afterwards 
you know, the FBI or law enforcement, they're gathering up photographs and videos. Mm -hmm. And did, did anybody ask you for, for your work? Uh, you know, I'm surprised that no one did. Um, people were telling me I need to send my photos into the FBI and I'm not, I was not interested in doing that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, you know, of course, if the FBI got asked for a warrant, I would, you know, turn them in. But otherwise, other than that, I mean, I just look at it on the, on the, on the, on the flip side, if I'm shooting like a black lives matter thing sure, and then the FBI was like, Hey, can we have your photos? I mean, I wasn't likely to give them photos for that situation either, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I just, you know, I'm not a fan of, uh, I don't know, helping, helping or helping out in that situation. I mean, these are, these are my photos and I, I don't want them to be used either way to kind of incriminate people, um, for actions that they, they, they may, they may or may not have done in these, in these situations. You know, I'm just documenting this stuff for myself. I'm not there to help the police in any way. So sure. I kind of want to maintain that neutrality on all sides of it. Um, so some people may not agree with that, um, but for me, I think that's a that's important if you're going to be a uh, an observer, a documentarian of this kind of, of stuff, and and establish trust with the people that you're shooting. I think you kind of need to maintain that. Yeah, you don't want to be a narc, right? Yeah, well, it's but it's it's you know because it it's the same for both 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 sides of it. You know, it's yeah. You know, my, my sympathies may lie with the Antifa crowd in general, um, but I'm, you know, so I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, turn in any photos of them to the FBI. But at the same time, you know, if I'm seen turning in photos of Trump people at the same time, it's like I lose any kind of, uh, I guess, legitimacy and just what I'm doing there to photograph these kinds of things. I mean, I'm photographing like just for myself and not for magazines or anything. Although my work has been published in them. Um, <laughs> but I just, I, you know, I, that's my, that's my goal. My goal is not to create evidence for law enforcement. No, absolutely not. One of the places why well, I saw, I, mean, I saw your work when it came out like very quickly because you posted some on Facebook, but then I saw it later. Um, in the uh, the finished product that that Tim Wynn did with you, the uh, Beyond the Frame story, oh, yeah. yeah. And Tim Wynn, uh, uh, if if you don't know who he is, he's the uh, uh, he he created the uh, Fill the Frame video uh, documentary on street photography, and he started a new project where he has the photographer actually narrate the story, and then he creates a video around that narration with the with the person's work and and uh other material and chris was his first one and matter of fact we'll put a link to that in the show notes because really to his whole youtube channel because it's really worth seeing so what, what can you tell us about that i, I thought it was good i mean you, you're a really good narrator and obviously an excellent photographer oh so yeah tim contacted me like out of the blue um but he had done a draft I guess with, I don't know, this guy, Michael Sweet, he's another photographer mm -hmm. from, from Canada. And he shared that with me as kind of like, you know, this was like the proof of concept. And, um, 
And I, I struggled with it for a while because Michael's sweet narration was not the same kind of narration that I would have done. Um, so I asked, I asked him, Hey, can you just send me some questions like an interview and I'll work off of, of that. So basically, you know, he sent some, some questions to me and then I was able to kind of like draft a, a narration and I, yeah, I've had lots of practice kind of with this sort of stuff. So I was able to, to write something down that sounded a little bit more conversational and off the top, but in reality, it was something that I read. I first tried it, tried doing it without anything off the top of my head. I couldn't get anywhere. It was just like, man, I need like, yeah, you know, bullet points and, yeah. and guidelines. And that's basically, you know, w what I did. So, and then it was a matter of, Kind of. So, so when I was doing that, I was also going to think like, what kind of visual items do I have that will support this narrative? Um, and it wasn't just photographs. I was like, well, I mean, most of it was photographs, but there's some video stuff as well. There was some artwork. Um, so I, I like knew when I was kind of drafting the narrative, I also had this kind of visual support for it for video. So that was, uh, on my mind as well. So that's basically how it worked to uh or came to fruition if you will so basically you just laid down the audio track and he took it from there with the collection of photos and well i mean we were we did actually work on it together so oh, okay. it, it was more like um yeah i sent he asked for a bunch of photos so basically you know once i've written the narration it's like okay we talked about me shooting punk rock we talked about my family we talked about um january 6 um we, we talked about several things so i was like okay let me collect photos from that so i basically did like a photo dump on tim based on you know this is at this point here here's like 20 images of like from punk rock shows that might work in this segment here and here's you know 25 family photos and here's 100 street photo photographs and here's oh, some documentary stuff. stuff. So, so he, he knew like kind of where to like what to reference in those parts. Um, you know, when we talked to, and there's like clips from bands I had played in too. So I had to like um, hunt those down from some people. So it took a little while, but that's so, but we went kind of back and forth a little bit. Like he wanted to throw something in here. And it was like, I was like, Hey, why don't we do this? Why don't I just do a video clip of, of me in DC shooting to start it off with when I'm talking about myself. So we kind of collaborated a little bit on, on that sort of stuff. So it was, it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, it was really cool. I haven't watched any of the other ones yet, but. Yeah, I recommend, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty, they're pretty good. They're not as, um, I would say mine's a little more personal, um, with my experience. Um, there's this more or just around the photography, but doesn't have, I guess, more of the, the full history of each person. I don't know. They're all good, though. I wanted mine to have like a personal touch that people could like, you know, connect with. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, when he told me about it, I thought, oh, what a, what a great idea. Very creative. Yeah, I'm looking forward. I've seen all the ones that he's done. He's done, and I like them. Um, and I, I really want to see more. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely do one a week. Yeah, but it's it's a lot of it's a lot of work, man. Yeah, video is just a ton. Yeah, the the better organized you are in creating a video, like having a, a game plan or you know like mm -hmm. a storyline or 
you know, script or whatever, the easier it is. But if you just are like going to go, Hey, I'm going to go out and do some cinema verte stuff and try to pull it together later. It is very difficult because you, it's, you, um, you're trying to create threads out of something that you didn't want, you, di you didn't envision threads of in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so, random, random stuff. Yeah. It's kind of backwards engineering at that point. Um, yeah. Reverse engineering. But even when, even when you have it all planned out, you know exactly what you want to do. It's still a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, and then you got to hunt down things, you know, to fill it, fill it out. But, you know, that's par for the course. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's similar to photography in a way. If you're working on a photo project, that takes a long time to uh, sure. pull together. Um, maybe even longer than, than video, depending on what you're actually doing. So I would say the fill the frame episode with me took about like three months from conception to final editing. Really? Um, so, you know, it wasn't like three months of constant work, but it was yeah. like, you know, yeah. just, you know, working, working back and forth. Tim's in Hawaii. I'm here. Time difference. And yeah, well, that's good. It was nice work. I, I recommend everybody see it. Like I said, we'll put a link in there. Uh, also something I wanted to ask you about, I see you're doing a, a workshop, a day of the dead workshop. That, that's yes. something I've always wanted to do. Um, I don't know if you know Harvey Stein. He did, uh, he's gone there many years. I've seen a lot of his work and what can you tell us about that? So for the last, well, with the exception of last year, for the last three years, um, I've been working with the Miami Street Photography Festival on this Day of the Dead workshop where um, we take a group of people anywhere, usually between like five and eight, and get a nice hotel and go to San Miguel de Allende, which is uh, in, cent in the mountains in central Mexico. It's about two hours north of Mexico City. Um, and it is a beautiful town um like up in the mountains and it's just very colorful very friendly probably one of the safest places to uh photograph in my experience you know in, in the world really it's just like no one really cares if you're taking taking pictures so it's like street photography without any kind of fear which is great for a, a workshop mm -hmm. um and um yeah. And then there's just a, so you go for a day of the dead, which, um, most Americans, I don't think are really that they're familiar with the visuals of it, but they're not familiar with the, the background of it. And so day, day of the dead and specific to San Miguel de Allende, they also celebrate Halloween there because there's a lot of, uh, us expats there. So it's basically three days, the 31st, November 1st and November 2nd, uh, 31st is Halloween. So a lot of people come out dressed in costumes in the square they're giving out candy by the cathedral it's a great great time to shoot a lot of fun uh november 1st is dias uh de los uh, muerte por niños for day of the dead for the children so this is when they kind of celebrate the children that have passed um in their lives and th and this is actually more of a, a somber day um but it's pretty interesting as well and then there's the official day of the dead um which is a celebration of your loved ones lives and this is the word is celebration 
Um, it's where so people like they gather around and tell stories of their loved ones that passed. People just kind of gather to hear them. You know, they go house to house, gravesite to gravesite. Um, and it's really just kind of a, it's a really like positive experience as much as you, you know, the day, you know, the, the name day of the dead and, you know, some of the designs of like the skulls and the Katrina mm-hmm. look, um, is it, stuff that was kind of added onto, onto it. It's kind of like a color flare, but really it's a very positive experience. And you get into some great conversations with some, some families that tell you about their, their loved ones, their parents, uh, what they meant to them. It's really, it's really sweet. Um, and it's, we don't have anything like that here in the United States. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really culturally, it's a great time. Visually, it's a great time. Um, and then San Miguel de Allende, there's also like a couple different parades that happen. There's two graveyards around town, um, that have their own different kind of celebrations and there's stuff just going on all day. Um, now some places, San Miguel de Allende doesn't necessarily go all night to the wee hours of the morning, but it goes pretty late to like around midnight or so. Some of the graveyards close at dark. Um, but yeah, but it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful time and a safe space. And, you know, we usually get a nice fancy, uh, hotel. The food in that city is probably the best I've had in the, in the world, um, in terms of just restaurants and choice it's not um i don't know it goes way beyond uh mexican cuisine as most americans think of it you know it's it's really kind of international there's all kinds of different food and it's just fantastic wow how long are you going to be there so yeah so 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 day of the day like the workshop itself is i believe seven days or six 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 nights, seven days. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Day of the Dead officially starts on November. Well, it's November 2nd, but there's, you know, Halloween. So I think we start, uh, well, actually, I can tell you exactly when we start. Um, so October 29th. So on October 29th, we basically, uh, everyone meets up. You know, they get off their flight, they arrive. Uh, by the way, so there's, um, for anyone interested, getting to San Miguel is not that not that tough. There is a, uh, uh, an, an airport nearby Queretaro airport, um, which is about an hour drive to uh, San Miguel from there. You can take an Uber, which will cost you like 35 bucks tops. Mm. Um, so it's really quite easy to get to San Miguel. Um, so everyone arrives that day. We kind of have a get together like cocktails and then we go out for a big group dinner that's covered by the workshop. Go to a fancy restaurant, usually one that overlooks the uh, entire city. Um, which is really great. And then, uh, and then, and then the next day starts with, you know, it basically, this is the routine. Like the, the, the first day I, I kind of give a lecture about, uh, street photography, kind of the history of it. We also go into like a, a, um, like how to give a photo critique and what's involved with that and things to look yeah. out for. And then we do some, some, I, I have them critique some work by some of the, some of the masters. I don't tell them who they are. So, you know, they kind of. <laughs> And then we kind of just do like an interpretation, but that's kind of to set the tone of like how to talk about images that we're taking throughout the day from like mm. more of an, inf- an informed perspective, not, not just like, Oh, your composition is off here or, you know, the basic stuff that people do or, Oh, you clipped his foot or something like that. 
<laughs> I'm trying to get way beyond that. Um, so uh -huh. I try to set the tone with the, this kind of critique exercise. And then I kind of go through a bunch of things to look out for. Uh, you know, I guess some of the, some of the cliches or memes or whatever that you see in street photography throughout the years. Um, and, and, and then the end go, and then, and then you go out shooting and then the next day, we go through rounds and rounds of uh, critiques in the morning. So you, you shoot all, you know, you shoot in the afternoon and into the night if you like, and then you come in the morning and we spend maybe two to three hours going through people's photos, you know, kind of using the lessons from the critique uh, exercise. And then we do that. And then, you know, maybe by day three, I start pulling people aside or even in, in the class I'll be like, okay, so, you know, it seems like you're kind of gravitating towards, um, you know, this sort of, you know, you, you, you know, you, you seem to be photographing this, this kind of theme. Um, like let's, you know, let's build together like a narrative or a set of images that kind of speak to each other that are more than just a single image. So the idea is, you know, by the end of this workshop, someone comes back with like a body of work that either, you know, that's like a nice, uh, cohesive project of their experience mm -hmm. or that just lays the groundwork for a longer term project. So it's kind of like developing a, you know, a vision. So I try to guide people from, um, you know, just random shots into kind of creating like maybe like a narrative or a set, you know, a series, um, if you will. And then at the very end, once that is all done, I put everything together into a slideshow. And then we um, find a, a white wall near the center cathedral square. And then we play the, sl the slideshow for the public. It's just like kind of guerrilla style. We just throw it up on a wall. We all hang out <laughs> and people walking by, check oh, it out. Cool. And it's really, it's really a lot of fun. So that's, you know, that's on the, uh, that's on the last night before everyone leaves in the, in the following morning. So it's, it's, it is a lot of fun. Um, the, uh, just, you know, being in, there are a couple things to know about San Miguel um, is that it's actually very in a mountainous region and we do a lot of walking. So two things like the altitude, you know, you're not going to move as fast as you normally would. So, for example, I like to run and I can do like a 5K here in the D.C. area in about, you know, 28, 20 six minutes if I'm going really fast. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, in San Miguel, it takes me like 34 minutes to do a, a 5k. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. also all the streets are kind of like cobblestone. So you really need sturdy shoes, like regular sneakers just kind of don't cut it after a while because it just, you know, yeah. the cobblestones kind of, you know, you want like nice, nice, comfortable, hard hard sold shoes. Um, which will make all the difference in, in the world. But with that said, you can find a really great pair of shoes there. <laughs> so, um, the food, the shopping, um, all of that stuff is like fantastic. I kind of compare, I don't know. I haven't explored a lot of other parts of Mexico, but I, you know, if there was a Beverly Hills in Mexico, this is kind of what I, I view it as. Girl. It's just really, really that, that nice. It's not ostentatious, like in wealth, like Beverly Hills is, but it's, it just seems it's just really, really nice. So, do you do all this by yourself, or do you have a have somebody helping with it? So, Juan Jose Reyes. Oh, Juan's going. Okay. Yeah. Well, Ron r runs the workshops. I mean, other workshops that they do are with folks like Stella Johnson and Bruce Gilden. Mm -hmm. um, I think 
Yeah, I mean, there's other other people that do uh, do workshops with MSPF workshops. You know, I'm, I'm one of them as well. So it's like um, uh, Vinit Forha does workshops yeah. as well. So we're all kind of under the uh, Miami Street Photography Festival umbrella. And so Juan, Juan goes. Juan is the guy that kind of makes. He handles all the uh, registrations for the workshop. He um, does the uh, the booking of the hotels, the organizing of our flights, etc. So, and I also I think it's very important to mention because a lot of this has been really sort of a, a weird year to be doing this workshop with uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, Delta, et cetera. So, um, normally, uh, you know, we have, you know, we ask people to put down, uh, X amount of money. The workshop, I believe, is like $2,999, like $3,000 roughly. And, and we have kind of like a, we usually have a, like a cancellation policy, but this year we don't really have one. Like if someone needs to cancel all the way up to the, like the last minute, that's, that's fine because of like COVID concerns. Uh, you know, because right now we, we just go like week by week and hearing like, you know, what's going on with it. So no one's going to lose any money if they decide to cancel last minute. I think the the worst case scenario, the only thing we, we ask is if like you cancel like the day before and the hotel requires like a minimum one night stay if you cancel that close. So that would be the only uh, that would be the only the only cost. Everything else will be reimbursed. So it's essentially like risk free in that in, in that sense. In terms of if you decide it's kind of getting too scary, or you know you have a COVID exposure or something that happens, it, it's, sure. it's 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 fine. So you know right now, and that's sort of you know that 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 has kind of impacted the workshop in a way um, where you know. We had it like, you know, almost sold out. And then we had a couple people cancel basically out of COVID concerns. And now we're sort we're kind of at half full. We have several people that are interested, um, but are kind of wavering. And, uh, you know, ideally it would be nice to know like how many people are, are coming and all of that, like, a, you know, by the end of mm-hmm. uh, September, if you will. <laughs> um, but yeah, but we're planning on, you know, moving, we have enough folks to move forward with this right now. And, um, it'd be great to have some other folk, folks with us, uh, preferably everyone being, you know, fully vaccinated. Um, yeah. And then we'll have a great time. I know I've been dying to travel for the past two years. I've been able yeah. to really do that. Um, so I'm really looking, looking forward to it. And I think, uh, I think it'll be a wonderful experience for everybody. Yeah. What kind of camera gear do you recommend somebody bring to, does this work? Oh, uh, so yeah. I, so I actually, you know, one of the things I do before we even leave is I have a whole, I have a reading list of books for people, and uh, I have a no. gear list recommendation. So you know, I recommend people because it's street photography. Um, bring a uh, you know, like a rangefinder, ideally, but that doesn't matter. They can bring their um, you know DSLR. Or whatever I do recommend people use like a fixed lens as opposed to like ideally like a, a 28 or 35 millimeter lens um, since there is a lot of stuff that happens at night there's a part of this is a flash workshop as well so oh. I recommend people bring like a flash and then I have like a list of like where you can get like an off-camera cord or different kinds of flashes you might want to pick up that have you know good that are light easy to use and have a good recycling power um 
So, yeah. So, I mean, really kind of any camera, but I try to like, I, but I push people towards like stuff where they'll be able to learn about, you know, get better at things like zone focusing and, um, you know, some of the, so, some of the, some of the camera basics, but it's not, you know, I, I don't recommend showing up with a 200 millimeter zoom lens, um, or 200 meter zoom lens, you know, yeah, that's not, that's not going to be practical, but you know, something, something, you know, something small, c- compact is ideal, but you know, regular DSLR is cool with a fixed lens. So most people already have this kind of gear. True. True. Are you coming? <laughs> Am I coming? Oh man, I want to come. You're tempting me. <laughs> so I, you know, I think, I think you'll have a lot of, a lot of fun. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it sounds great. I, I will say it's not, it's not really a vacation, man. It is a lot of, uh, it is a lot of photography, you know. That's what you go for. Yep. You, you be immersed into it. But and, and then, oh, other things to note, uh, breakfast is included every day, mm. which is fantastic. Um, so it's, it's, it's not your continental breakfast. It's a full, like, sit-down meal. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then the first night dinner and the closing night dinner, which are really night, nice restaurants, are, are covered as well. Hotel is fully fully covered. Uh, the only thing that's not covered is the plane ticket um, and and transportation to and from. But like I said, it's like a thirty five dollar Uber to to San Miguel day. Yeah, day. that's not bad. There's also time. There's also this is really a lot of fun. There's a lot of uh, like hot springs on the outside. So Ooh. you know, if you want to take a break, we take take an Uber out to some of the hot springs and go swimming in the hot springs. It's really cool. Uh, there's a um, there's this cactus reserve that's really kind of fun to check out. Um, that's also within walking distance of the town. It's just it's just amazing. And there's also places that do yoga and stuff in the morning. It's really cool. Lots of lots of good good stuff to do. Yeah, very interesting. So anyway, so what else you got going on? Sounds like that's enough. But yeah, I mean that's primarily uh, it. I do have a solo. Uh, show coming up like one of the things that i wanted to do um so there's a gallery in dc called uh bad candy that's relatively relatively new it's sort of like i would call like a avant-garde sort of hipster cutting edge gallery and they were giving me a solo show in november where is it what part of town today it is in brookland which is by catholic university okay uh, and it's a it's a small gallery, but fairly sizable. Um, they've been doing a lot of uh, I don't know. They've had several like street art kind of shows. Every time I've gone, it's been packed. They do sell a lot of work there, which is great. And then they kind of supplement these events with like artist talks and or you know uh, maybe some classes. So I'm thinking like you know. We're actually going to have some some bands play on some nights. Uh, we're going to do. Um, I'm going to give some talks on some others. Uh, might do like a small like kind of mini mini day workshop as well. Still figuring that out. Um, and this is all kind of based around this is this is my book release show. So the four books that published last year are really what's going to be represented in this show here. We uh-huh. wanted to do one last year. Uh, but then that pretty much got canceled by COVID. So this is sort of like a, a makeup for that. So it's sort of a, a way to celebrate the release of these books. Uh, and I do have 
uh, first editions of the, the, the book gratuity included, which sold out rather quickly. So I do have like, I guess, 20 copies left that I've been saving for an event like this. So we'll have the original one there. Um, yeah. And it'll just be a, you know, big prints and small prints. The idea is to have something, um, in a price range for everyone. There'll also be some of, I have this big collage piece that I did, which was basically like five years of photography that has collapsed into this collage. That's about seven by five feet. Mm. Um, and it's got this diamond dust on it and it's overlaid with a DC flag. It's pretty cool. So that'll be the most expensive piece. Cause I really don't want to want to sell it. And it took me basically five years to make. Oh, um, yeah. and then, um, and then, yeah. And then they're just various prints. So there'll be, um, you know, prints you could buy for, I don't know, like 500, 600 bucks. Um, and then smaller ones dispersed that you can get for 25 bucks. Um, there'll be like eight by tens, uh, kind of. So the whole thing will be kind of set up in a chaotic, creative way, um, where, where someone can get it, get something. Um, and then there will be a, this place is big on doing these kind of creative, uh, t- one of a kind t-shirts, limited edition t-shirts. So there will be about 20 different t-shirts as well. So. And when's it going to be? Uh, so that will opening night is November 13th, which is also my birthday. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that'll be, so that'll be, that I think will go from like five to 11 because the space is small. So you can have people come in and out. Um, and then, uh. Yeah, and then I think we're going to be doing like a little after party after that at a place called Slash Run, which is close by. Um, yeah, and then I think the next weekend we're going to have this band uh, Zealot Rip and another band Eye Against Eye play, um, which sort of represents a lot of the, the the music photography that I've done over the years. And then um, yeah, and then we're just kind of figuring it out. Then then I'll give like a a lecture, maybe talking about like the bookmaking process. That sounds good. And then maybe if the DC street photography collective gets its act together, we might have our next book out for on the, on the last oh, weekend right. of that. Yeah. Wow. You just, so, just published one. Well, we just published one at the end of last year, which was bad day. That Oh, was that long ago? Okay. Yeah. So, and we're working on one right now um, called a seance, which is different than your normal uh, much different than the last one. Bad day was like a theme around it. The concept of bad day seance is actually, um, around the, based around the concept of, you know, photographs as, as memories or as conjuring the past or past ideas. So it's really like photo, maybe six to eight photos from each member. And then they're accompanied by a text about like, why each member took the the significance for them of why they took that that photograph like was it an, was it an homage to a past master was it um something yeah. like a personal experience uh was it something based on a historical event um so it's really it's shaping up to be really quite uh fantastic i think because it's i haven't seen it like a street photography book like like this in a way Interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I don't know. It's sort of like, I don't know if anyone knows uh, the, the John Sarkowski book. I think it's, uh, what is it, 100 Photos or something, where John Sarkowski discusses um, 100, 100, maybe it's 101 photos 
of um, in the collection of the uh, Museum of Modern Art in New York, where he kind of where kind of discusses like why this image is considered artwork and belongs in the collection. So long the idea of that, except this is more like you know from an artist perspective is like. What did, why did you choose this, this photo? Why did you choose to take this photo? What was significant about it to you? You know, basically what was the logic behind snapping the, the, the shutter? Wow. Man, you guys, you guys keep busy up there. We're trying. We're trying. We say, and and since we're at it, we're going to be at an event together coming up in October, right? That's right. Yeah. October 2nd. Fredericksburg, Virginia street photography, something. Yeah. The, the shootouts. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're gonna you're gonna compete. I'm one of the judges. Yeah, I, 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 I want to compete. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be fun. Really, I put you to work. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Stevens is a judge, and we just got a third judge. I forget who it is. A woman. So yeah, it's gonna be fun. Be first time in Fredericksburg for me. Oh yeah. So yeah. The the reason why I want to go is because that's kind of that's where I went to college. I went to Mary Washington College. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So I know I know the downtown area. I don't know. I haven't been there in like thirty years or so, twenty yeah. years. But um, you know, I still know some people down there. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to uh to it. Um, you know, street photography in Fredericksburg could be a little rough, but if I take the approach of let's say a, a Mark Cohen, it could probably be pulled off. Yeah, I understand. It's a little rough here in Charlottesville too. Well, do you know Mark Cohen? Um, he has a book called Not Personally, no. Grim Street, which is fantastic. And I think it's all taken around, is it Harrisburg, Pennsylvania? Some small town in uh, Pennsylvania where it's just, his mm-hmm. photos are fantastic, man. And he was, uh, you know, shooting around the same time as um, Friedlander and Winogrand and those guys, but he was doing it in a very small town. And he was getting gallery shows in New York in that time as as well yeah yeah you don't have to be in a giant city yeah so that's what i like i like the i like i like challenges like that well i'm looking that one up right after we finish which speaking of that before we go why don't you tell everybody where they can see your work and learn more about you Oh yeah, so just chrissuspect.com is the place to go. All you know, you can see uh, a variety of my uh, various photography portfolios, from punk rock stuff to uh, hairdressers um, <laughs> to weird stuff from Romania. Um, some some of my Mexico silhouette series is on there too. Uh, you can find out more about the workshop, and then you can also uh, purchase, you know most of my books that are still available. Um, I also, one of the thing about making books is that I, I don't like to be out of print. So some of them are in second editions already, but you can get copies of the, of the books that I published last year. And yeah, so yeah, chrissuspect.com. Well, thanks for being with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So, please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track, and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refoe, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd, 
from WeBit Studios found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. Mm-hmm.